the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Plan Your Estate Radio with your host, San Jose Estate Planning Attorney Bob Bergman. Bob's been practicing law for over 30 years and is certified by the State Bar of California as a legal specialist in estate planning trust and probate law. Bob is here to help you set your house in order with valuable insights you can use today to prepare a better tomorrow for your loved ones. And now your host for Plan Your Estate Radio, Attorney Bob Bergman. Good afternoon, Bay Area. <clears throat> Excuse me, I got a little bit of a frog in my throat here. I'm going to have to ask Kermit to get out of the way. Um, I want to start the, the show today by saying... Um, my my prayers go out to our president and his wife um, who tested positive. If you hadn't heard, and I don't know how you could have not heard, uh, they tested positive for the coronavirus, and uh, they are now sheltering in place and quarantining in the White House. Um, I don't know that we'll be given much of any information for the next 14 days as to what their actual condition is or is not. Uh, I doubt that it would be something that would be released because that kind of information could probably qualify for uh, a secret information because it's a national security issue. One thing we would not want uh, the enemies of our country to know is how the president is, whether he's capable or incapable. If that were the case, I'm sure we would find out because the vice president would end up taking over. For now, though, the general information we have is that they have mild symptoms, and I'm hopeful that their symptoms will remain mild and they will recover fully. And I don't think this has anything to do with uh, partisanship or politics. Uh, we're talking about the president of our country, and, uh, and he's the president of the entire country. And uh, I wish him and his wife well and I want them to uh, get better. And I hope all of you out there feel the same way that I do. Now I follow a pretty typical format on this show. If, you've, if you're tuning in for the very first time, welcome. If you're tuning in for the 50th or 100th time, welcome. Uh, but my normal format is to go through questions and comments from around the state of California that I actually retrieve from various locations. These are actual situations being faced by actual people here in the state. I don't make these up. Um, these are real. Sometimes they're a little bit raw. Sometimes they're a little bit unusual. But in general, um, I try to pull out situations that are going to have the broadest application and the broadest interest to those of you out there listening. Um, and my hope is uh, that you will hear something that helps you in your situation, uh, that maybe helps uh, helps you decide a direction to go or whether you need to get assistance because you're facing a similar situation as one I talk about on the show here. And uh, I just want to keep 
the education going. This is what I've been doing. My main purpose for doing this show is to pass on information, is to educate, is to um, to give people answers. And I will take answers or give answers on the air if you'd like to call in. The number to call in is 800-516-1220. That's 800-516-1220. Or you can email any question you may have to radio at lawbob.com. That's radio, R-I-D-I-O, at lawbob, L-A-W-B-O-B.com. I practice law, and my name is Bob. So that's why I have my domain as lawbob.com. So I'm going to start into the show. If, if you do call in, my, uh, my engineer will let me know, and uh, we'll take your questions on the air, and I'll be happy to chat with you on the air. And uh, don't worry if you've never called into a show before. I'm uh, I'm very gentle. I'm very kind, and uh, I'll make sure that um, we get your question answered if it's within my capabilities to answer that question. So here's a situation out of Los Angeles. Um, this person indicated that after mom's death, um, a multi-unit property was left to. Um, three descendants of mom and uh, who are also beneficiaries of the mother's trust. So this person is asking, uh, says, we want to sell or at least split the property to be cashed out on my share, but the trustee in charge of things is not motivated to sell because the trustee's living rent-free on the property. Now, I'll tell you what, that is a more common situation than you might imagine. Uh, you often, it's not unusual at all to have a child, for example, that's maybe living with a parent, taking care of the parent, and then uh, the parent leaves the property to all the children, and the one that's living there is has been put in charge all along and is in no hurry to move out so that the property can be sold and the proceeds split up between the children. This causes more problems than you could possibly imagine. You might have experience that yourself. You might be in the middle of that situation right now. But here the question is, um, because the trustee is not motivated, this person says, I'm afraid the trustee could mismanage the property and the tenants currently living there. I'd like to avoid a messy situation with her and would like to know the best course of action. Well, here's the deal. If these children have inherited this multi-unit property from their mother that passed away, the children are effectively partners in the property. It's what in legal terms we would call a de facto partnership, meaning a partnership in fact. That's the de facto part, as opposed to de jure, which means a legal partnership, typically where people actually intentionally get together, they decide they're going to do something together in a business, or they're going to own property together as partners, and they're going to work and operate that way. Well, when when children inherit a property from a parent, um, if it's transferred, even if it's not transferred out of a trust, they're now all basically partners in that property. And if one of them, who's the trustee, is not willing to do anything to sell the property because they're living there and someone who's a beneficiary wants to cash out as long as the trust doesn't require the property to be held in trust well you got a situation where like any partnership a beneficiary if necessary could go to court 
to have the court order the trustee to sell the property so the beneficiary could get his or her share of the proceeds. Same thing would happen if they owned a property outside of the trust together and one partner wanted to cash out and another partner said, nope, I don't want to do it. Well, the first partner can always go to court if necessary. Uh, it's what's called a partition action if there's real estate involved. And the court can actually order the property to be sold um, in, in order to um, in order to get the, uh, the the share out in cash. Okay, so here is a situation. Um, person's uncle died, and um, let's see, and the live-in girlfriend, ex-wife of the uncle, same person says there was no will. The estate is in probate. She wants me to sign something moving my portion to her trust. I don't want to. How do I contest it? How do I claim the estate? Well, the deal is that if there if there's property, if there's real estate involved, and this person asking is the closest living relative of the uncle and he died without a will, this person's entitled to inherit whatever the uncle owned, regardless if he had a live-in girlfriend who was his ex-wife. If the live-in girlfriend who's the ex-wife is on the title of the property <clears throat> as tenants in common, then uh, that means that this person, this nephew or niece, is entitled to the uncle's share in the probate. So you don't have to contest anything. You're entitled to receive it, and the probate cannot close without being sorted out in the probate process. Okay, we're coming up on the first break of the show today. <clears throat> Excuse me, if you want to call them, it's 800-516-1220 or email me at radio at lawbob.com. I'll get back to you after the break with more questions and comments. This is your host, Bob Bergman, Plan Your State Radio. I'll talk with you after the break. This is Plan Your Estate Radio with San Jose estate planning attorney Bob Bergman on AM 1220 KDOW. And welcome back. I hope you uh, took the break for an opportunity to go get something to drink or use the necessary, as they would have said in colonial times. Um, we're going to be going forward with more questions and comments here um, on the Plan Your Estate Radio show with your host, State Planning Attorney Bob Bergman out of San Jose. I'm broadcasting down here in San Jose today. I'm looking out the window because I can look out the window here as I as I sit broadcasting in one of my offices. I can see it's very, very hazy outside. It's probably one of those days where you should try to avoid being outside as much as possible because there are a lot of, lot of particles in the air today. Um, hopefully it will clear up over the weekend. What we could really use here in the Bay Area is a good long couple hour rain to clear the air and freshen things up a bit. Of course, if that happens, my, my allergies will go crazy, but I'm willing to make that sacrifice to get the air clear for everybody else. So uh, go ahead, pray for rain. Um, I have no idea if there's any rain in the forecast, but you know maybe we can always kind of uh, hope for rain and get some of the air clean that way. So here's kind of an interesting one out of uh, Anaheim. Uh, Anaheim, where I will actually be heading at the end of next week, 
actually a week from today, I will be on the road to Anaheim with my family. We're going to go down Disney for some time. We're going to visit Knott's Berry Farm because they, they're all set up for Halloween and they have food tastings going on. We're, we're just going to go down and try and experience as much as we can of Disney um, before they reopen, which, uh, who knows, that might be at the end of this month that they'll have reopened, and I'll be grateful to hear that because we've really, really missed going and seeing uh, Mickey and, and um, Donald and all the rest of them. So here out of Anaheim, person says, my parents created a living trust that was drafted by an estate planning lawyer. Can I copy the language of that living trust and create my own? Well, I think the short answer is, yes, you can. I think the real question is, should you create your own by copying your parents' trust? And I would say, I don't think you should do that. Um, you wouldn't for example, take your parents' medications that were prescribed by a doctor um, because you don't know if the medication is appropriate for you. You don't know what it might do to you. You don't know if it might actually be a bad idea. I tell you, I've seen trusts over the years that people have been brought in, and it's obvious it was a do-it-yourself trust. I've seen trusts where people have actually taken an attorney's trust and they have um, messed with it and they've kind of taken pieces out of it. Um, they don't like something. They don't understand something. They just don't put it in there. And you can end up with a document that not only is not appropriate for you, but could actually create problems for you. If a trust is not properly drafted for you, you could end up, after your death, having your family have to go to court to figure out just what you were trying to say. And I've read a lot of trusts over the years where it was completely unclear what the person intended. And that even includes trust drafted, some trust drafted by attorneys. Uh, sometimes I knew that the attorneys were not estate planning attorneys. They were general practice attorneys and they really didn't know what they were doing and created trust that caused problems for a family. Um, fortunately, in most cases, I was able to catch these problems before someone died so that we could fix the problem by actually uh, doing an estate plan that was appropriate, that made sense, and was properly drafted. But I'll tell you, I would never advise someone at any time to take some other, just take a trust drafted for some other person and then just kind of change it for yourself. Given the fact that this question came through and was directed to attorneys, I suspect that a lot of attorneys would have probably answered in the same way that I just did there. Okay. Um, can an inheritance be distributed? before the 120-day waiting period if all recipients sign a waiver that they won't contest. Uh, let's see. Mother passed away in late July. Her estate's to be split equally among four siblings. Notice to beneficiaries has been issued. Now, what they're talking about there is a notice under Probate Code Section 16061 
5.7 that requires notice to go out to all the beneficiaries of a trust and included with that a copy of the terms of the trust. Now here it says all siblings would like to receive their inheritance before the 120 days specified in the notice um, expires and they'll sign a waiver stating they won't contest the estate. Trustee's lawyer is saying a waiver won't work and we need to wait the full 120 days. Thoughts? Well, I think for the trustee, if the trustee is confident that all four of the siblings are going to sign a waiver and that they won't contest, then they could do that and distribute before the 120 days. But here's the deal. The deal is, strictly speaking, you cannot really waive that 120 days um, because um, even if all the siblings had their own attorneys, I would say probably you're going to have at least one or two of the attorneys would suggest that, you know, no, you don't sign a waiver of any kind. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't maybe have all the information that you need to determine whether or not things were handled appropriately, uh, the trust was appropriate, whatever it happens to be. So I think um, I think that you're probably saying, no, no, uh, I would wait the 120 days. If, if people can't wait that long, well, then there's bigger issues at work right there. Well, we're coming up on, um, I think, coming up on the second break in the show today. How much time do we have left? Okay, got about a minute and a half. I'm going to uh, touch on one more here. Um, it says, uh, some, somebody else is cashing my granddad's pension as my grandma's recently passed away. What can I do? Grandma was receiving granddad's pension after he passed away. Now my grandpa's grandma's also passed away and a cousin's boyfriend is cashing their pension. What can I do? Well, I would say, um, I would say report it to the people who are issuing the pension. Tell them that, um, that grandma's passed away and they should stop issuing the pension and then they can trace, maybe trace who's cashing that and go after them because that's basically fraud and it's theft uh, if someone's not entitled to the pension. Okay, we're coming up on the second break of the show today. After the break, we'll come back with more questions and comments from around the state of California. This is Attorney Bob Bergman. If you'd like to call in, it's 800-516-1220. 800-516-1220. Otherwise, I'll continue with the second half of the show in a brief, uh, after the, excuse me, after this brief commercial break. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. Well, welcome back to the second half of our show today. And I'm going to move right on with more questions and comments from around the state of California. Okay, now here's one uh, out of Southern California, out of Tustin. And the question is, if a beneficiary of a trust, my brother, gets money from the trust, when he dies, does it go to his wife or back to the trust? Um, well, pretty much the answer to that question should be in the trust itself. 
in this case, the uh, the brother is uh, has a mild mental disability, and uh, and this person's in charge of the the money left in trust for the brother. And uh, so it says the trust says my brother's to ask me for money for things like rent, food, medical, clothing, car, etc. He can't handle any large sum of money. Um, but the brother is married, says we like his wife okay, but we don't want his portion of the trust to go to his wife or to his wife's stepkids who are, shall we say, not the best people. How can we avoid um, the property going to uh, to his family? Well, the bottom line is the trust itself will say, where does that property go when the beneficiary dies? Um, it might very well say, at the death of the beneficiary, it is to go to the other beneficiaries of the trust, which would likely be other siblings. It may say it goes to him, otherwise it passes to his children. Uh, in this case, he has, sounds like he doesn't have children, but he has stepchildren. But to go to the stepchildren, the definition of children in the trust would have to include stepchildren explicitly because your children are not automatically, or I put it this way, your stepchildren are not automatically your children because there is actually no biological relationship there. Um, to include stepchildren, you have to explicitly state that stepchildren are included as children. Um, I do this in my planning fairly regularly because I have blended families where um, where maybe each each of the spouses has uh, a child or children from a prior relationship or marriage. Sometimes they have his kids, her kids, and then maybe even their kids, uh, children that they had together as a couple. And uh, if they indicate they want all of their children collectively, to be treated on an equal basis, then I make sure that in the plan itself that I identify that little, you know, Johnny and Janie here are the are the children of John Sr. And then Susie and Sally are the children of, of Jane over here. And that they intend that each other's children be treated as their own natural children for all purposes. It's what I call adoption by will or trust, where you identify your spouse's children, uh, who are your stepchildren, but indicate that they are to be treated by the estate plan as equivalent to your own natural children. And that's a very common approach that I take in planning if that's what the couple wants, if they want to make sure that all of the children of both spouses are treated equally. Sometimes the decision is made that they only want their joint child or children to receive things, maybe because their other children, the stepchildren and half-siblings of each other, are significantly older than the new set of children, and maybe they're already established. I mean, I've had a number of cases where, where um, each spouse had children in their 20s, uh, late 20s, early 30s, uh, and then they got married, and now they have a 10-year-old son or daughter um, who is significantly younger, obviously, than their 
half-siblings, um, and but they decide that they want to have that property go primarily to their, um, or maybe almost exclusively go to their uh, their common child. So that would be um, a pretty typical situation here, especially when you have a blended marriage. So here's a question. When does a successor trustee's accounting date begin? So a revocable trust becomes irrevocable upon the grantor's death, the grantor being the creator of the trust. Um, this is a small, simple estate. Assets valued less than $200,000. Distribution will be outright, no income being produced. Beneficiary of the trust wants an accounting. When does a successor trustee's accounting details begin? On the date the trust assets become their responsibility. That's the date of death, then detail in the all transactions forward. Or does a successor trustee need to account for any of the transactions the original grantor did? The short answer is a trustee taking over is typically only responsible for accounting for the assets that they take over when they take them over and then going forward. Uh, they're not responsible to figure out what the creator or grantor of a trust may have done beforehand because, first of all, the successor trustee is not involved with that and the grantor of a revocable trust could do whatever they want with their property um, beforehand. So the accounting requirement would be basically from uh, when the uh, grantor of the trust died and the successor took over because they can't necessarily account for things that happened before then because they were not involved in the process. Okay, so here, uh, question, how do you handle money from an inheritance when someone is on SSI? SSI is a federal income program for people that have um, very small or no income so that they can actually qualify to receive income of some kind. And typically people on SSI automatically qualify for Medi-Cal for their health insurance here in California. Now here uh, it said, let's see, it says dad and mom have passed and uh, and they did not include the, the, the child that's on SSI. And they want to know how do we give that person money without messing up their benefits? Well, you got to be extremely careful with that because if someone's on SSI, they don't have income or have very little income. And, and if they receive monies, the other thing is they're not really supposed to have a lot of money sitting around. So uh, the, the basic thing is instead of giving money to someone on SSI, <clears throat> you're better served to buy things for them, buy clothing for them, uh, stuff like that. Um, but before really doing much of anything, you need to get together with an attorney that specializes in Medi-Cal and SSI and things like that and ask the question, what can be done to provide for or help this person out? What can we pay for? What can't we pay for? And, um, and in this case, it sounds like it would be payments that would be in the nature of a gift of some kind. So... Um, there we go. So that kind of is the answer there. Okay, here's one out of San Francisco. 
How do you file a claim to a property without a will? A deceased person left a property without a will and no immediate heir. There's a trust, so I'm not sure why the will is important. Uh, the closest living relative is a sibling. A nephew from another sibling resides in the property. Who has the right to file a claim to the property? Well, I'd start first by finding out, is the property actually owned by this person's trust? If it's owned by the person's trust, then the will is not really relevant. Uh, you'd look at the trust and see what it says about who's supposed to receive the property. Oftentimes, if there is no immediate heir, the trust may say something like, distribute the property to my next of kin, or maybe a little more formally, to the to my intestate heirs, or or to those who would inherit the property under California law, um, and and that would if it says that and there's no named beneficiary, then the one entitled to the property would be the sibling. Um, now, if there's a nephew from another sibling living in the property, the question becomes. Is that nephew, does the sibling of that other nephew, um, or is the sibling, the other sibling, is that a deceased sibling? If that's the case, that nephew might actually have a share of the property as the descendant of someone who would otherwise be entitled to inherit, which is a sibling. Um, so who has the right to file a claim? It may be that both the sibling, who's the closest living relative, and the nephew from another sibling, if that other sibling was deceased already, they both might actually have um, a claim. But if there's a trust, you look and say, you have to look and say, what does the trust say? Where does the trust say the property's going to go? And the will is not basically relevant if there's a trust that directs where property's going to go. Okay, we're coming up on the third break of the show today. We'll have one more segment, and then we'll call it a day. Uh, I thought I'd let you know ahead of time, I will not be broadcasting live next Friday, because as I mentioned earlier in the show, I will be on my way to Anaheim with my family. I'll literally be on the road uh, as I'm on the way down there. Um, so I will not be broadcasting live. I'll pick out a good show for everybody to listen to. Um, next Friday. But when we come back after the break, I'll wrap it up with more questions and comments from around the state of California. This is state planning attorney Bob Bergman, host of Plan Your State Radio, and I'll catch you on the other side of the break. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio. Once again, your host, estate planning trust and probate law specialist, attorney Bob Bergman. Hi, well, welcome back. We're in the final segment of the show, as they say, rounding the far turn, heading for the finish line. I have a few more things to cover here today, and then we'll call it a day. Uh, here's one that's a pretty straightforward one. It's out of Pasadena, California. And the question is, can a revocable trust make a gift, and if so, who has to file Form 709, and if not, who pays the tax? Um, it says, my wife and I are grantors, trustees, and beneficiaries of a revocable trust 
We want to transfer one property out of our trust to our daughter now. Well, if it's a revocable living trust, that means that you are the taxpayer. You are the owner of the property. There's no separate owner of the property other than you. So if you give real estate to your daughter, you're the one making the gift. You're the one who had filed the, the gift tax return. You're the one who would pay tax if, in fact, a tax is, a tax is imposed. It would have to be an incredibly valuable property for there to even be a chance for it to be uh, imposed because right now the wife, and assuming they're citizens or permanent residents, uh, the, the husband and wife here would each have an $11.58 million lifetime gift tax exclusion available to them. Uh, so I don't think they'd have to worry about a gift tax, but they probably do want to file the gift tax return, the, the Form 709, and report the gift to the IRS so that they get credit for having made the gift and they have accounted for it properly to the government. Okay. Uh, can I collect a debt from a trust where the debtor is co-trustee and co-beneficiary? A husband owes me money. He put the money into a living trust with his wife as co-trustee and beneficiary. They are both settlers, too. That means they're the ones who created the trust. I'm going to sue the husband. The wife was not involved in this business transaction. Do I need to name the husband in his capacity as co-trustee and the wife as well? No, you just sue the husband. Because, like I said in the previous answer there, a living trust... We'll put it this way. A revocable living trust is not separate from the person who created it. Uh, a revocable living trust has no asset protection qualities at all. You can sue the person there, and uh, and if you get a judgment, you can collect against anything that uh, is in their revocable living trust because it is not separate from them. It's just a different way that they're holding title to property. You don't have to sue the wife. But if you sue the husband and, and it's his debt and they have community property, then uh, his interest in community property at least is subject to being recovered against uh, if you get a judgment against him. So um, there's really nothing different than if he had no trust at all. It's pretty much the same answer. Now, here's, <laughs> here's one. I love this because I've experienced this in my own practice. This person says he's co-trustee of his father's trust with his brother, and we're also the only two beneficiaries. My brother's wife has been in contact with the trust attorney, telling the attorney that she's got appraisers hired for all the properties, and as soon as that's complete, the properties will be listed. This has not been discussed with me. How is she, my sister-in-law, even able to speak to the attorney when the when it's only me and my brother splitting 50-50 and they've run nothing by me? The answer is, she really has no business. The sister-in-law has no business being involved in this at all. Regardless of what her husband, the brother, may think, she has no dog in the fight. She has no authority to be doing anything about anything. And these two brothers are heading to a point where they're going to probably end up in court fighting over this very issue. The brothers need to work together. They need to list the property together. They're going to sell the property together. And quite frankly, spouses of the beneficiaries need to butt out. And I'll be as blunt as that. 
because I, in my experience, when spouses of beneficiaries get involved and feel like they have a right to say something or have input or, or, or anything like that, it does nothing but create problems for families. Um, I've dealt with it in the past. I've dealt with it in the recent past in a trust administration. And I will tell you, you just don't want to do that. Okay, i got one more I'm going to do today, and then we'll wrap it up. This person says, um, my mom had a partner when she died, and they jointly owned a house together. I'm not related to him in any way. She didn't leave a will or anything. I was wondering if I somehow owned part of the property as they were not married. Well, the short answer to that question is, how did they have the title to the property? Jointly owning a house, you could jointly own it as tenants in common or as joint tenants. Tenants in common would mean the mom owns whatever percentage interest appears on the deed. If there's no percentage interest, then she has a half half interest in the property. If it's joint tenancy, then her partner now owns the property by operation of law. I would tell this person, let's look up the title to the property, see how it's held, and then I can answer whether or not you might be entitled to half of the property or none of it. Okay, so we're going to wrap up the show today. I, I felt good. I hope you thought it was a good show today. Like I said, I will not be back for the show next Friday because I'm traveling out of town. But I look forward to talking to you all again the week after that, Friday after that. So this is your host, estate planning attorney Bob Bergman, the host of Plan Your State Radio here on KDOW, and thank you for listening. You've been listening to Plan Your Estate Radio with estate planning attorney Bob Bergman. For more information on today's program or to schedule a consultation, visit lawbob.com. L-A-W-B-O-B, lawbob.com. Or call his office in San Jose, 408-247-0444. That's 408-247-0444. And be sure to tune in next week for more Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of this station and are for informational purposes only and should not be construed to be legal, financial, or tax advice. Seek appropriate legal advice regarding your particular situation. Attorney Bob Bergman does not offer any guarantees with regard to the outcome of your legal matter. Prior results in other cases do not guarantee a similar outcome in your case. All rights reserved.